Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Our next guest is big time. In Salt Lake City, you don't go anywhere without hearing the voice of Bill Riley, ESPN 700. You don't go to Rice-Eccles Stadium. You don't go to the Huntsman Center. You hear his voice even when you're in the parking lot warning you to leave your umbrella in the parking lot. Bottled water must be sealed, all of that business. I'm a frequent guest on his show in Salt Lake City. And in fact, the last time I was on, Bill Riley and I talked about Damian Lillard, possibly, like, would he be a good fit in Salt Lake City? Now, Stephen, before I bring on Bill Riley, I told him I thought Lillard had two, maybe three good years left. Am I spitting truth there? In your mind, basketball expert Steve Vaughn used to work for the Blazers. Like, how many good years does Lillard have left? Yeah, I think elite years. Like, this year he was third-team All-NBA. I think that type of level, you got about two years, three years maximum. Because this is the type of age where point guards start falling downhill. And I know Dame isn't all athleticism, but it's explosiveness that he uses to get that step-back jumper off. I think that falls off a little bit as he gets older. Uh, So, yeah, I'm with you. Two to three years at the elite level where he can be an all-NBA guy. All right, so we're bringing on Bill Riley, ESPN 700. On that note, Bill, you hear you hear Stephen talking about Lillard. Are you are you interested? Are the Jazz interested in Lillard if it's a two to three year window? If it's two to if, if it's as Stephen said, two to three years of elite, John, third team All NBA. Yeah, I think so. The worry would be one year of elite or this was his last year of elite and then you're just an all-star for the next three or four and then that fifth year of the contract you're paying 63 million dollars for a guy that is a borderline all-star but if you could say two to three years of the elite i think the jazz would sign up for that but you know are the blazers you know the jazz have the assets they have players they have picks they have tap room all that stuff are the blazers ready to move on from him you think they should because i know you wrote about it but are the blazers ready to move on from him We'll see. We'll find out. I want all those draft picks, though. I want Utah's entire future, and it's got to feel. <laughs> it, it it's a different model, though, there in Utah, because you've got Danny Ainge. You saw the Donovan Mitchell trade, you know, you know, a year ago, and he brought a haul back with that. Like, give me an idea. What what did that feel like to the fan base when Donovan Mitchell gets traded? Uh, it was weird, but it. it... You know, it kind of felt like Donovan was setting that up for a while. He never did it publicly, but you always got the sense he had an eye on New York or a bigger market. You know, Gobert was probably better liked here a little bit because he played hard. He wasn't the player that Mitchell was. But when they dealt not one but two of those guys, you knew they were going for the hard reset. And, I mean, look what he brought back, 15 first-round picks over the next six years. That is a haul, plus they landed Lowry Markkinen. They landed Walker Kessler. They landed Ochai Abaji. Colin Sexton, they they got a really good haul. That Danny Ainge is not a guy you want to play poker with, John. Yeah, and I think you've seen him do it. He's got proof of performance. It feels, it, it, am I safe to say, it feels hopeful in Salt Lake City? And you know, you're coming off an All Star game and all that. Oh yeah, there's a lot of hope here. I mean, most of us pegged them for a 20 to 23, 24 win team this year. They won 35. And they were on pace to be a borderline play-in team before they dealt Conley and Beasley and uh, Vanderbilt and some of those guys off of the trade deadline. So, no, I mean, they, they, they outperformed their, their, their expectations. And 
you know, now you've got the picks, you've got the cap room, and as you said, the best part about it is Ainge has done this not once but twice with the Boston Celtics. So there, there's a lot of hope right now in Salt Lake City. Now you got to hit on those draft picks. You got to go take a swing and miss on some deals, or take take a swing on some deals too with your cap room. But I, I think this isn't a three or four year rebuild. I think people are looking at it now like a two to three year rebuild. Bill Riley, ESPN 700, Salt Lake City. The TV times and networks came out today. <laughs> Where, where did your eyes go? Quick takeaways. What did you immediately notice? Well, I, I looked at Utah's. So obviously, we've been waiting to see what time that Florida game would be. Utah kicks off the season on that Thursday night. I figured it'd be a 5 or 5.30 or 6 o'clock game. It's a 6 o'clock game. That's 8 o'clock back east. It's on ESPN. It's the premier game. It's a great showcase game with Florida coming in. Then I looked at the next week. They have Baylor at Baylor. Well, that's a 10 a.m. game. But, John, that's a lead-in directly from ESPN College Game Day. That's the ESPN 10 a.m. Mountain Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time game coming right out of Herb Street and Davis and those guys. It's a great lead-in as they go to Baylor. And then the other time I was curious about was the Oregon State game. And that's a 7 o'clock Mountain Time, 6 o'clock Pacific Time game on that Friday night at Reeser Stadium, which I think is going to be an electric atmosphere. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. I, I think – and here's the other thing. We were, we were talking about Florida coming to Rice-Eccles Stadium do you think Florida knows what it is to play at Rice-Eccles Stadium? No, they don't. But playing in the SEC, I don't think they're going to be, you know, they play at Bryant-Denny, they play at Death Valley, they play, you know, they, they play big games, but they don't play at altitude. It's the first game of the year. And, John, they're not going to be, I don't think, as good as they were last year. They don't have Superman at quarterback who can use his athleticism to bail them out. Uh, the first couple of years of Billy Napier have been pretty rough down there. They had more departures in the portal than they had additions. And the people I've talked to say, you know, it, it could be a rough year. So I, I don't know that they fully understand. I think they're going to say, oh, Utah, nice program. We beat them last year. You know, they're, they're going to be in for, a, I think, a little bit of an eye-opener just simply because I don't know that they, they're going to expect to have the full house and the altitude and everything else for that opener. Give me an idea. You know, you got Cam Rising there. Everybody's expecting that he'll be the guy. His health, the knee surgery. What have you? What are you hearing lately on that front? Well, Cam was in my studio three weeks ago, sitting right across from me. He and I do a little weekly conversation during the season. Looked me in the eye, said, "Bill, I'm ahead of schedule. The doctors project me." He goes, "I'll be in camp and I will start against Florida." He looked me right in the eye and he said it. And I've also talked to people on the staff that have said the same thing. They feel good about where his rehab is. So, um, whether he starts, you know, whether he starts fall camp in full contact, he'll be throwing and things. But my, 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 my best guess is probably midway through camp, and obviously for the opener, based on what he's told me, he'll be the starting quarterback. Bill Riley in Salt Lake City. Rather, Bill Riley's in Oklahoma City. Uh, <laughs> you're there for the College World Series, Women's College World Series, softball in Oklahoma City. Pac-12 flavor on this thing, Washington, Utah, Stanford, all present there. Set the scene for us, Bill. You get into Oklahoma City, how softball crazy is it? It's nuts. I mean, they love it. I mean, this is the home of the Softball World Series. It's been here for 30-plus years. They build a facility kind of like they do in Omaha for baseball. This town is gaga for it. Three Pac-12 teams, better representation than any other conference. The problem is there's two Big 12 teams one is 10 minutes from where the stadium is. The other one's an hour from where the stadium is. Oklahoma and Oklahoma State are here. Two SEC teams, but they play each other tomorrow, Tennessee and Alabama, and then Florida State. It's a great setup. 
we usually don't do softball, John, but th- th- there was such a vibe this year around this program, and they got to the Super Regional last weekend. We did the games in Salt Lake, and they said, hey, let's, let's, go do, let's go to Oklahoma City. So I said, sure, sign me up. This is fun. The vibe of the buzz, I was just over at the stadium a little while ago watching some of the practice. It's really, really cool. And, you know, I, I never thought I'd be doing college softball World Series stuff, but here I am, and I'm, I'm excited for it. The, you know, the Pac-12, did you see this coming that you know, the Pac-12 would have three teams in the College World Series, Stanford, Washington, Utah? I mean, you know, how big was Utah softball at the beginning of the season? Well, Amy Hoke, so they were picked eighth, John. Not, no, nobody in the conference thought they'd be much. Amy Hoke told me, she's the head coach, the last time Utah was in the World Series was 1994. She was the star player on the team. So she's led the team that she was she was the star on back to the World Series 29 years later. She thought they'd be really good. I don't know if she thought they'd be World Series good, but they swept Oregon at Oregon this year. They swept Stanford at Stanford this year. Then they beat Washington, who took two out of three from them, in the semifinals, and UCLA, who swept them in the finals to get here. And if anybody thought that somebody was going to be here, people thought it was going to be UCLA, the Bruins got swept at home in the regionals. They didn't even make super regionals, so... It's been a big year for Utah all the way around. They have nine conference tie or co-champion, co-championships or outright championships this year. It's been the best year athletics has had in their 12-plus years in the, in the, uh, in the uh, Pac-12. I want to give some love to the team, to the players, for people tuning in uh, for, you know, obviously Utah will play Washington in uh, the opening round tomorrow. It'll be, uh, I think it's 6.30 p.m. Pacific time on ESPN. Yep. So you'll be head-to-head with maybe some NBA Finals Game 1, Bill. But what do you know about Utah versus Washington? I don't like to see two Pac-12 teams playing each other early, but uh, I guess we'll figure out who has the inside track right away. Well, it's not only that. The other Pac-12 team has to play the most dominant team in the sport. Stanford's got to play Oklahoma, who's won 48 straight games, and have a de facto, they'll have 10 of the 13,000 fans there. Tomorrow will be Oklahoma fans. It'll be a good matchup. I was talking to Amy Hogue about it today on my show, and she's like, hey, Washington is really, really good. They beat them two out of three in Seattle, and then Utah came back and won the one in the Pac-12 tournament. She looks at it as a really even game. Somebody's got to make a play. But, you know, these two teams have played each other four times, went two and two this year. Washington can really hit it. I mean, their leadoff gal is so very good. Bailey Klingler, she's outstanding, all-American player. Um you know, I, I didn't see that series. I saw the semifinal of the Pac-12 tournament. Coach tells me it'll be a close game down to the very end. I'll take her word for it. I don't know a lot about softball, but I know that <laughs> it is an exciting game to watch and that it moves fast. I grew up in a baseball family. Uh, man, it, just some of the natural things you see in baseball don't apply. But I do find myself, as I'm flipping around, watching sort of the bang-bang fast-paced, don't-blink nature of the game. Like, what do you get when you watch a softball game? Same thing, John. I grew up playing baseball. I didn't have a baseball professional father like you did, but I was around the game. I call a lot of Utah baseball with the Pac-12. Last weekend was the first softball I've called since doing high school softball back in my early broadcasting days. I love it. The game moves. They don't, you know, even though the pitch clock is in baseball, it still plods along. This softball moves fast. It's quick. It's exciting. There's a lot more energy. The stadiums are smaller. There were 3,000 for all three games last week for Utah, record attendance. I, I love it. 
I, I, I just, I've, I've had a blast doing the last weekend or so, but to what you said, it's a different game, but there's some similarities. If you're a baseball person, you'll like the energy and the fast pace of it. And I, I just, I've had a blast doing it. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be fun to watch. I think uh, from a Pac-12 standpoint, when you're talking about, you know, a limited number of teams and you've got three entries that are uh, pushing towards, uh, you know, trying to get to the final. Uh, you also, you know, Bill, I think, you know, you do soccer, you do all the University of Utah things, you host your own show. Um, I'm one to talk, but give me an idea of the balance you find in your lifestyle and your work-life balance. Like, where do you go to kind of find that? Well, I'm not doing as much soccer this year, so I'm finding a little bit more balance on weekends. But, you know, John, I try, you know, this is a big outdoor state, a lot like Oregon is. I try to get away with my kids, do some hikes, do, you know, if I get a day or two off during the week, I am thrilled by it. But the older I get, as much as I love my job, I'm trying to, trying to find that balance a little bit more. So a little bit of outdoor stuff. A Saturday or Sunday that's off is fantastic for me. But you're kind of like me. You love what you do. I get to bring my kids who are older now to games when they want to go and incorporate them in it just a little bit. So where I can find a day or two off, it's a lot of fun. But you and I get to do something we love for a living and be around, you know, being around collegiate kids too. Not as much the professionals, but the collegiate kids. I think it kind of keeps you young and energized. I kind of like that part of it too. Best interview, University of Utah football team not named cam rising oh best interview not named cam rising go through it real fast oh junior tafuna all pac 12 defensive tackle very very good interview outstanding interview and then keaton bills will be an all-conference left guard he's the guy with the long hair on the offensive line kind of the regulator he's an outstanding interview too Love that. Bill, I appreciate your time. Good luck there in Oklahoma City with this event. I hope your team plays on and makes it enjoyable and fun for you. But uh, Washington against Utah in the Women's College World Series tomorrow, 6.30 p.m. ESPN. Check it out. Bill Riley, thank you. John, you're the best. Talk to you soon. Love the flavor there from Oklahoma City. Steven, the Jazz, would the Blazers trade Lillard? to a team in the Western Conference, if they had to do it, is Utah that place? Like, because he brought it up to me. He's like, hey, if they're ready to trade him, Utah would take him. They do have a pile of draft picks. Uh, I'm just not sure the Blazers are going to get to that point, and I'm frankly not sure that they have the guts to make that kind of move if it's necessary. But if the Blazers have to trade Lillard, would you prefer there to be some parameters on where he lands or do you just look for the best deal? I would just want the best deal. Um, I, I don't, you know, yeah, it would suck having them in the Western Conference against, you know, being with Utah, you know, more of a hated rival for the Blazers. Blazers fans don't really like Utah. Uh, but I, I would just rather get the best deal involved. But I would say what Bill said about Danny Ainge. You don't want to play poker with that guy. Yeah. It would make me worried if Danny Ainge made the trade for Damian Lillard, no matter what it is. I would, it's, it, you know, I would feel like the Blazers are going to lose that trade just because Danny Ainge is so good and he, you know he knows something that no one else does. I it just would worry me, but no, John. I think anywhere you can get the best deal for Dame if you're looking to trade him. I think you do that, and I don't, you know, I know people would want to say you owe it to Dame to see where he wants to go, but at this point, like you got to help yourself with the franchise, and I think that's the best way possible. But yeah, Utah man, Danny Ainge, he's, he's got that thing going, and he's made some great trades. They're in a great spot right now.
Leave it here. You got the bald face truth statewide. Love that interview with Bill Riley, ESPN 700. He talks about a lot of different things there. Um, I want to pivot to the Holiday Bowl, suing the Pac-12 conference. Remember, UCLA pulled out of the 2021 Holiday Bowl against North Carolina State. Uh, the organization that runs the Holiday Bowl is now suing the Pac-12 Conference and the University of California Regents after UCLA backed out of that game. I do know some stuff about this. I believe the Holiday Bowl is having some financial problems. But the San Diego Bowl Game Association, which operates and owns the Holiday Bowl, is seeking $3 million in damages in a lawsuit that was filed today in San Diego County. Remember, UCLA announced less than five hours before it was supposed to kick off against North Carolina State that it was pulling out of the game. Three defensive linemen tested positive for COVID-19. There's a 10-page court filing that comes more than 17 months after negotiations between the bowl game and the Pac-12 failed to come to a resolution. Bowl game says it lost $8 million because of the cancellation. That includes $3.6 million in ticket revenue. $1.4 million had to be returned to the title game sponsor. Um, by the way, the bowl organization has not paid Oregon or the Pac-12 for the $2.45 million that it owes from last year's game. It says, hey, we're going to take that as an offset towards damages for the cancellation of the 2021 game. The Pac-12 has uh, issued a statement. It's a lot of word salad, basically good faith efforts, fair resolution, cancellation, refusing to pay the fees, yada, 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 as they say. UCLA is declining comment, but I do have some background on this. Now, the Holiday Bowl, to me, looks like it's trying to take advantage of the pandemic for financial gain. It, you know, UCLA doesn't have enough players to play the game. They don't have enough defensive linemen to play the game in a COVID year. So that does not constitute force majeure under any kind of agreement. It's kind of a weak legal argument. And and frankly, like we can disagree on masking and the vaccine or whatever we want to disagree on when it came when it comes to uh, you know, the the COVID and pandemic era. But I I think we all sort of agree that people who took advantage by like buying up all the all the toilet paper, buying up all the hand sanitizer, buying up all the Lysol disinfectant wipes, buying up all the masks, cutting the line for the vaccine, like do we not have like a unfavorable opinion of people who did all that, like people who financially benefited from the pandemic. It was sort of understood that we were all suffering together. And there was kind of a unwritten code when you went to the grocery store. Don't take all the toilet paper. What are we doing here? But some people did. You know, you saw those videos on TikTok and Instagram where people were hoarding toilet paper and, you know, being yelled at as they went through the parking lot. It feels to me and it looks to me like the Holiday Bowl is trying to take advantage of the pandemic for financial gain. UCLA couldn't play. What's Pac-12 supposed to do about that? What's UCLA supposed to do about that? Um, I am told that the Pac-12, as part of the negotiation with the Holiday Bowl, offered the Holiday Bowl an interest-free loan. Also offered to let a mediator decide 
was the pandemic, did it qualify as a force majeure effort? Let a mediator decide on that. And uh, the Holiday Bowl declined on those fronts. Now, I know because I had a contract and the NBA and NFL and Major League Baseball had a contract that all involved force majeure clauses. Whether it was the pandemic an act of God. You know, because if you have that, then contracts and you know can be unwound and broken, and and everybody goes their separate ways. And I can tell you that when the pandemic hit, there was some conversation with my agent about my own contract. There was conversation with my employer, and nationally, there was conversation everywhere about whether or not this, you know, the pandemic qualified as an act of God that would allow people to unwind contracts. And I didn't see a single case of that becoming fact that becoming true i think it would have caused a cascade of issues then it would have caused a bunch of problems and a bunch of lawsuits and a lot of litigation and so nobody in their right mind saw the pandemic as an act of god it was just a pandemic and if it wasn't specifically noted in a contract as if a virus or a pandemic uh you know causes a cancellation of games or events or sports then then you saw contracts that were enforceable. Now, you are seeing that written into contracts today. It's interesting. You know, I, you, you've seen it with sports. You've seen it with coaches and teams. You're seeing that stuff. So the Holiday Bowl, it looks to me, looks like a bad partner with the Pac-12. They've been a longstanding partner. And the Holiday Bowl looks to me like they're trying to take advantage of the pandemic going, hey, look, UCLA couldn't play. They didn't have enough D-linemen. They canceled too close to the game. Cost us a bunch of money. And they must be in such a bad financial position that they go, we can't afford to absorb this loss. And they are trying to make the Pac-12 pay for it. I don't think they're going to be successful in this. I think it's a bad look. I'm going to look deeper at it. But, you know, I, I don't have a great affinity for the bowl game people themselves. But most of the time... The bowl games, it's kind of a racket. You know, I'm in the press box. I get to see the bowl representatives. They come to the games late in the season. They're looking at the Oregon teams, Oregon State teams, Washington, Washington State, whoever. They show up in the press box, you know, in like week six, seven, eight, nine. They eat cheesecake they or, or whatever dessert they're serving in the press box. They sit around in their green jackets or their gold jackets or their orange jackets. They always have matching jackets on that match the ball game. They hand out some stickers, maybe some pins, maybe some promotional materials. They set them down uh, on press row as, you know, you come to your seat. You'll be like, oh, the Weed Whacker Bowl guys are here. And then you look down, and they're eating cheesecake, and they're yucking it up. It's kind of a racket. If you can get those gigs, they're good. And they also hold, like, their junkets. They got busted in the past. Some of, the, some of these bowl games have been busted for, you know, basically wasting all of the bowl money. The Holiday Bowl just looks petty on this front. UCLA didn't have enough players to play. Steven, what do you make of this? It's tough because it was it's like you said, it was during the pandemic when things were so heightened, you know, it was still unknown of what was exactly happening just around the world and so for UCLA not to have enough players like do expect them to go out and play not health-wise and it's not even this at that point, it's like your body, like your legs and your arms, and you're like risking stuff for life. I I don't know. I I, I don't say it seems like it's a money move 
um, by the Holiday Bowl, and they're just upset that that happened. But I don't know. I just feel like it's a it's a tough spot because at that point in time, we just didn't know what was happening, and there were so many questions. There was protocols everywhere, and I mean, I, I don't know. UCLA just didn't have enough players. Like, what are they supposed to do? Just grab random people off the street? You can't do that. Yeah, and I think too. You know, I look back at UCLA during that time, and I kind of say to myself, look, like, we all had to have a little bit of grace with each other. You know, we had to. It it was different. It was new. I'd never been, anything, been through anything like it. Like, I was laughing because a couple of months ago, Anna and I stumbled onto this list, and it was kind of this list of, like, a grocery list she sent me to the store with when the p- pandemic first started. And there were ridiculous items on the list because – we didn't know what it was. We didn't. None of us knew. And I can remember going to the store and kind of I was there before everybody else was there. And I wasn't sure what to buy because we didn't know how long are we going to be locked down? What do we need? Like, and I can remember like other people in the store struggling with the same stuff and having conversations with people as I kind of moved around the store going, am I buying food for like four days or am I buying food for 40 days or what, you know, what is going to be at a premium here? And, but we all had to have kind of this grace, this unspoken grace with each other. And I think a lot of people did. And I think what should happen is that the PAC 12 and the holiday bowl should just be good partners to each other and probably find some common ground. Hey, can we split the difference? Hey, can we give you an interest-free loan? Hey, can we, you know, can we steer some of our sponsors to you? I don't know. But it doesn't feel like this should be a loss. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Hey, sorry to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.